Today, I'm going to ask some more personal questions. If you aren't interested in examining your values and your behavior, this might not be the right episode for you. I'm not going to have you answer to other people, but I'm going to ask some questions that I think will make some people feel uncomfortable, but that's in the short term. In the long term, I think this will get you to act. I mean, my goal is to get you to act more consistently with your values, which values evaluate better, worse. I think it will lead you to live a better life. And I'm going to begin with a question. It sounds really, well, here's the question. Which is easier? Freeing slaves, if you're a slave owner, or not using disposable cups and bottles, not taking plastic bags when you go to the store? Which is easier, to get rid of your slaves or to get rid of plastic bags? Because I think getting rid of slaves is probably harder than people think. And yet they say that they would do it and something that's much, much easier they don't do. So let's go in a little more detail. The New York Times had a story. This is what prompted it for me. And the headline of the story a couple days ago was, Holocaust is fading from memory, survey finds. And it reported a survey, and quoting the article, here are some of the results. 31% of Americans and 41% of millennials believe that 2 million or fewer Jews were killed in the Holocaust. The actual number is around 6 million. 41% of Americans and 66% of millennials cannot say what Auschwitz was. So why did this get me thinking? Because my last name, Spodek, is Polish. It's Jewish-Polish. Growing up, my father clarified, because it was on my father's side, that Though our ancestors lived within the boundaries of Poland, we were not Polish because as Jews, they were not considered Polish. When I think of the Holocaust, I don't know how many, I mean, my family came over, my my father's parents and grandparents came over about a century ago. So this is before World War II and the Holocaust and, and some before World War I. And so we have cousins and uncles and people that I don't know, I don't know how many of them were lost who were living in Poland when, when the war broke out and the Holocaust broke out and, and were killed. But I can tell you that growing up, down the block from where we lived was a a couple, a German-Jewish couple. They had escaped Germany. They were close with the family. And here's what we knew, is that there was a time after they left where they lived when the anti-Semitism was rising. Years later, they, I think they caught a boat from England to the United States. And this period of years from how they escaped Nazi Germany and got to the free world, that's unknown. They never talked about it. I can't imagine what happened to get free from that time. In any case, is that growing up, I remember teachers teaching us that if in Nazi Germany, if you had blonde hair and blue eyes, you could do whatever you wanted without consequence because that was the racist ideology of the time. Now, here's the thing. I had blonde hair and blue eyes growing up. My eyes are still blue, but my hair has turned, I think the color is called mousy, but it's not blonde anymore, but it was. On my mom's side, we're Anglo-Saxon Protestant, came over in 1635. On my mom's side, she grew up on a farm and in a small town in South Dakota. But I had blonde hair and blue eyes from that side. And so here's the thing. I had this funny situation where I, in principle, at some other time, I could have done whatever I wanted, although I was on both sides of that one. My question to you is, what would you do in an oppressive regime that you disagreed with that caused death and suffering if resisting could cause you suffering yourself, but you could pass as the group in power and escape that risk of suffering. Would you escape? Would you suffer? I think most people, well, you answer for yourself. I think of Schindler and Schindler's List. We admire Schindler because he helped people and he didn't have to. Partly we we admire him because of the great personal risk that he took, but I think a big piece of it is that we admire him because he did what most people would not. Otherwise, we wouldn't admire him. You, You don't admire someone for falling off a log. You admire people for doing things that you would not have done yourself. And so let me bring this to the here and now. Last July 4th, I posted a story in Inc. 
It was called A Millennial Making America Clean Again. It was about a student of mine who took on a personal challenge to live by his values to pick up 10 pieces of trash per day. And he wrote about his experience after having picked up 10 pieces of trash every day for a month. I asked him what it was like. And you can read word for word what he wrote, the whole text or the whole email in that article in Inc. And he wrote, quote, just yesterday, as I picked up a piece of paper and napkin, someone had dropped 10 feet from a garbage can. I mused over how I've heard people say they wish they had witnessed live MLK's deliverance of his I Have a Dream speech, or how they would have denounced the Holocaust had they lived in Nazi-occupied Germany and been non-Jewish Germans. And continuing to quote him, but if people can't act on their values when the stakes aren't high, then how can they expect to act on them when the consequences of their inaction affect not only themselves, but an entire group of people? So they say when you can't check that they would do something really big, but when you can check, they don't do these little small things. It's easy to say that you would resist Nazis when no one can check, but most people don't even stop using plastic bags or flying, which is much, much easier knowing when they're hurting others. So here's a way to check your own personal likelihood to live by your values in the face of personal risk. If you oppose racism and you would have resisted racists then, and let's say not in the whole full-bore Holocaust, but let's say the early 30s when they were rising to power and there's rising anti-Semitism, but no one could have guessed what was going to come 10 years later. If you oppose racism and you would have resisted racists then, do you also oppose pollution today? If so, do you accept personal risk to live by that value? And I don't mean just buying green when it's convenient. I mean like riding your bike instead of taking a taxi or instead of driving or not flying every now and then. Actually, forget personal risk. Would you simply go out of your way a little bit? Case in point, the human body can go without water for hours with zero problem. For a day with not much of a problem, I mean, if you eat fruit, you're getting a bunch of liquid there. You can go for a while without drinking water. We are swimming in disposable bottles that people get for just to drink water because they can't go for half an hour without drinking water. Let me be more precise. It's not that they can't go without water. It's that they choose. They don't want to go without the water because their bodies can go without the water, no problem. And these bottles, by the way, these plastic bottles, in principle recyclable, according to National Geographic, 9% of recyclable plastic is recycled. So it's mostly garbage, but to produce it produces a lot of waste. So it's basically polluting just less than outright waste. But there are mountains, mountains made of recyclable plastic that we don't recycle and we pay third world countries to accept. Why? Because we can't go for half an hour or an hour or two without drinking water. Or I should say, we choose not to go for half an hour or an hour or two without drinking water, and we carry it with us everywhere we go, and then there's the bottles. So waiting an hour or two to drink water seems to me really trivial, but billions don't do it. And going without water for a little bit is not really that big of a deal. So how about avoiding packaged food in general, or avoiding a flight or two, or years of flying, or lowering the thermostat in the winter and wearing a sweater? Most people consider these trivially simple acts of acting by their values too much to ask. So let me, bring, let me come at it from another angle. A big issue on campuses today, and a big issue in the United States today, is how to handle racists and slave owners' names on buildings. So this is happening at Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Duke, Brown, among plenty of other schools, and communities, Charlottesville, for example. So say you belong to a community where there's a slaveholder's name on a building. Say it's at a university where you go. What do you do? I personally, I think you take the slave owner's name down. You take their statue out of the park. But what do you expect a school to do? I think that independent of what you think is right, 
I think you still have to take into account a community and you have to get through committees, make sure the alumni and all this. I think it takes a little while. Even when everybody agrees, it's just systems take a little while for things to work through. My point is that it's easy to demand action when someone else is the decision maker, when you're not the decision maker. Decision makers tend to have to consider multiple constituencies' interests, often conflicting, even when everyone agrees. Still, deciding on names on buildings is really small compared to something like a Schindler-level decision. The stakes are lower. No one deciding building names is, no one's life is at stake. Plus, it's cut and dried. Taking a name off a building or a statue out of a park is not rewriting history. It's just choosing whom you honor Given that you have limited resources to honor, you can't honor everybody. So I think it's not hard to conclude, as most universities are and most municipalities are, even in the Deep South, to stop honoring slaveholders and racists. But now I want to go back to back then. I mean, think of Thomas Jefferson. I'm going to quote Wikipedia here. Starting in 1767, at age 24, Jefferson inherited 5,000 acres of land and 52 slaves by his father's will. Uh, Then it continues, through his marriage to Martha Wales in 1772 and inheritance from his father-in-law in in 1773, he inherited two plantations and 135 slaves. Okay, Thomas Jefferson did not ask for these slaves. He didn't ask to be born into a country or colonies where it was legal and normal, normal in the sense that a lot of people were doing it. But I want to put to you this question, and I think everyone knows the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway, because think of it in terms of either Jefferson or think of a slave owner in the deep, deep South. What would you do if you owned slaves? I think most people who say we should take their names off the building would say immediately, free the slaves. No question about it. Now, you could point out, but if you lived in a community where everyone owned slaves, if you got rid of yours and everyone else didn't get rid of theirs, you just impoverish yourself. You lose out on your plantation. You lose out on all this free labor. And it's not really going to change anything. So what's the point? Or you could say, I'm going to lose all this stuff. It's legal. You could say, some people say it's even good. There's probably some science, which we'd call pseudoscience today, but I don't know if they would call it pseudoscience then, that people would say, it's supposed to be this way, or we're built this way, they're built that way, that's the way it's supposed to be. So taking all that into account, does that change your answer? I don't think it changes anyone's answer. I think everyone would still say, you get rid of the slaves. It doesn't matter that other people aren't doing it. What you do, you, no one wants to be a slave. You don't want to be a slave, so they don't want to be a slave. So don't enslave people. Free your slaves. I think everybody would agree on that. So what about you today? Which is harder, freeing slaves or avoiding disposable water bottles? Because if you say that you would get rid of slaves and you wouldn't accept the argument that, well, if you do it, no one else does, it doesn't make a difference. Or you don't accept the argument that, well, maybe they actually want it that way or it's legal. If you don't accept that, what do you accept to justify all the bottled water or putting on the air conditioner so high in the summer or flying all over the world when you feel like it, knowing that other people are suffering from this stuff, that knowing that you're contributing to the sea levels rising, you're contributing to the coral reefs all dying, you're contributing to all the different things. We know, we've read them in the paper. You know what I'm talking about. You know the consequences of your actions, but you still choose to do them. On the flip side, if you choose not to do them, for someone listening to a Leadership in an Environment podcast, you could take a leadership role. You could be on the forefront of this. Imagine you're on the forefront of freeing slaves. You can be in the forefront of a significantly smaller thing, but still important, of polluting less, of living by your values. Because a lot of people say, well, if I don't pollute, but other people do, it doesn't make a difference. A lot of people say it's legal. A lot of people say, well, it's possible that some technological solution will happen later. Well, that technological situation isn't around here now. And the waste keeps growing, and the CO2 levels and the greenhouse gas levels keep going higher and higher and higher. If you say 
that you would get rid of your slaves, doesn't that also mean that you would not use disposable water bottles, that you would take public transportation or ride a bike? Now, people out there would probably misinterpret what I'm saying to say I'm falsely equilibrating slavery and pollution, which I'm not. In fact, on the contrary, I'm saying pollution is easier, incomparably easier to act on than slavery. So if you're clear on your values and how you would act on them with regard to slavery, are you then not more clear on your values with regard to polluting other people's worlds, to putting garbage in in the oceans, to putting pollution in the air that other people have to breathe? So are you true to your word and acting on your environmental values? Or are you flying for your comfort and convenience? Are you turning on your thermostat so that you can wear shorts inside inside in the winter and sweaters inside in the summer? How about your meat consumption? How about driving instead of biking? Or are you saying that you behave a certain way in a difficult situation when no one can check, but when the situation is much easier and people can check, you're not behaving consistently that way? I don't know. It's not me. I'm asking you. But if that's the case for you, can you do something different? Now, I hope I'm not saying, well, I guess it's harder to act on this than I thought. Maybe it's not so easy for the slave owners. Maybe it was more hard then. I hope you do not come to that conclusion because I don't come to that conclusion. I come to the conclusion, if other people could live by their values when it was harder for them, then I can live by my values when it's easier for me. The big reason I'm doing this podcast is that when I've done it, what felt like it was going to be deprivation and sacrifice, what felt like it was going to be hard, it took me a long time to get there. But ultimately, I found it was better for my life. You could say that living without slaves improves your life. You, I guess you don't have all that free labor, but you live in a community where people are doing what they want for their own reasons. And that's what I think we have available to us. If you think, if you are confident that you would get rid of slaves, even though no, other, no one else was, even though it was legal and all sorts of reasons, then does that also point you to living by your values environmentally today? Which I put to you is much, much easier. And in my experience, much more rewarding. It's made my life more delicious, more convenient, saving money, all these things. So I want to repeat my student's words from his experience of just picking up 10 pieces of trash per day. Didn't cost him a penny took less than a minute a day probably. He said, I mused over how I've heard people say they wish they witnessed live MLK's deliverance of his I Have a Dream speech or how they would have denounced the Holocaust had they lived in Nazi-occupied Germany and been non-Jewish Germans. But if people can't act on their values when the stakes aren't high, then how can they expect to act on them when the consequences of their inaction affect not only themselves, but an entire group of people? So I ask you, which is easier, freeing slaves or not using disposable cups and bottles.